I'd love for you to open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 5. Caleb, I'm so pleasantly surprised to see the amount of people we have tonight. We were talking to each other on the way. We are at the Spiritual Formation Retreat, and we said, nobody's coming. <laughs> it's the Super Bowl. But uh, I, I was thinking, there's nothing better than you, even the Super Bowl. Okay, Jesus, we love you. So we're so grateful you came tonight. First Timothy chapter 5. Praise the Lord. I didn't go into full-on singing right there. Uh, we're going to start in verse 3 and go all the way through. We're going to really march through this passage. Again, I want to encourage you to take notes tonight. Uh, there's a lot here. And... Um, I think it's just so helpful for us, and it's really countercultural, this whole topic that we're going to look at tonight. If you need notes uh, to take on with your phone, just go to passioncreek.com. The first button you'll see there is message notes, and you can take all those notes interactively, and then you can send the email to yourself at the end. I think that's the best way to take notes if you didn't bring a notebook. So we're in First Timothy uh, chapter 5. We're continuing in our, our series called Practice in the Way in Community. So the way of Jesus is a certain way of life, and we're trying to learn how do we do this, not just for our ourselves. And I think it's really typical for us to think, how do I follow Jesus individually, but also as a whole, how am I serving Jesus together? How am I loving my neighbor? And so I know for our staff, our prayer has been, we're asking the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit for new perspectives about community, uh, but also new practices for community. How can we really help our neighbor and our family in God? And I think tonight is so practical. And I hope that you'll stay with me. We're going to heavily lean into these practices of giving and helping and supporting. And that's what we're going to look at uh, tonight. So 1 Timothy chapter 5, starting in verse 3, it'll say, support widows. So this word support, we're already doing this, okay? This word support here, your translation may say honor. And that's what it used to mean. To honor was not just to really uh, just say, hey, we love you, we're grateful for you, but to actually financially support somebody. But in today's world, we just think honor is like, I'll tag them on Instagram, I honored them. No, honoring very much involves financial help. And so the CSB translation says, okay, it's support, it's financial, it's emotional, it's spiritual. Support widows who are genuinely in need. We're going to look at that. Verse 4. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them learn to practice godliness toward their own family first and to repay their parents. It's called the circle of life. The parents have the diapers and then it goes the other way around, right? Like we, we, you have, we have to put up with the doo-doo, but then later on, you know what I'm saying? It's just the, the, the story of life. And so what we're going to see here is there's a lot, especially in the time of that, where this was written, there were a lot of widows. A lot of men went to war. There was a lot of pestilence, which we happen to have as well today still. Um, and so there was a lot of reasons why men would actually die more frequently. And it's probably because we're not as sanitary as ladies. And so ladies find themselves a lot in this time. There was a huge need in the Roman Empire especially, there was a lot of widows. And the church actually really grew because, in part, they really found a way to love and serve the widow. But Paul here is saying, there are widows in your church. Let's figure out how to love and support them. So initially, let's support them, but those who are genuinely in need, those who don't have children or grandchildren to do their job. And it's interesting here, we still have this today. People think, hey, church is supposed to just take care of everything. We absolutely are a place to help and to love you and to take care of you. But at the same time, there are so many needs in the community. If, if a widow has children or grandchildren, it is primarily their responsibility to care for their family. And whatever is left, the church will absolutely step in. Some people have an issue with this, but it's the only way that all of this whole system works. And doing that, Loving your, your, the widow and your family, it pleases God. Verse 5. The widow who is truly in need, he keeps using this phrase, 
and left all alone, has put her hope in God and continues night and day in her petitions and prayers. Some of the most amazing people I've ever met are ladies who are widows and they live alone, but they just love the Lord. Their life is bathed in prayer. There's so much to learn from them. There's amazing women of God. Let's go to the next verse now. However, she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Paul is being very straightforward here and saying, okay, there are some who put their hope in God, but other widows are being self-indulgent. They're taking these blessings and they're not using them for the glory of God. They're using them for themselves. They're taking advantage of it. And so Paul is trying to teach Timothy, how do you deal with people? And maybe this is a situation in your life. How do I care for people when the more I help them, the more they hurt themselves, right? And we're going to look at that tonight a lot. Verse 7. Command this also so that they will be above reproach. But if anyone who does not provide for his own family, especially for his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. There's nothing more um, damning than to say this type of phrase. In history, we see, and even today, even non-Christians, even people who just have not a very good lifestyle, they still know to take care of their grandmother, the person who's in need, the one who is a widow. So he's saying, if there's anybody in church, this is not a good thing. And by the way, this was written before the healthcare system uh, was created. So today, a lot of us, we, you know, we have the homes to take care of widows and those who are elderly. This was not a thing back then. And I do think it's worth noting, it is the church who really started that whole system of hospitals and medical care and helping people usher them into the next life. Shout out to the church. We don't get enough good press. Amen. Amen. Verse nine then says, no widow is to be enrolled on the list for support unless she is at least 60 years old, has been the wife of one husband showing faithfulness and is well known for good works. That is. So what are these good works that she's known for? She's brought up children. This is worth noting. We also know here, some people do not have earthly children. They didn't have children from themselves, but certainly within the church, there are so many different ways to raise up children, to be involved in ministry, to help those other children, to call them aunt and uncle, right? And, 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 and all those sorts of things. So I think that's, that's more than just, it's not just saying they had to have had children themselves. Uh, shown hospitality, washed the saints' feet, helped the afflicted, and devoted herself to every good work. So the people to support, the people to really help, are those who are already helping others. That will be a theme we're to look at all throughout tonight. Verse 11. But refuse to enroll younger widows. Why? This seems harsh. This seems like Paul is not caring. But here's why. For when they are drawn away from Christ by desire, they want to marry. Verse 12. And will therefore receive condemnation because they have announced their original pledge. Keep going. At that same time, they also learn to be idle, going from house to house. They're not only idle, but are also gossips and busybodies. Busybodies, this idea, God has created us to be busy with something. And if you're not busy with something good, you're going to be busy doing something bad, saying things they shouldn't say. In fact, we believe even in 2 Timothy, it points that most of the false teaching, why it was so spread in Ephesus because of younger widows who had nothing to do. This sounds harsh, and we're going to look at this tonight, but they had nothing to do but just to talk. And like social media, right? And they started spreading all of these false ideologies and theologies. Therefore, I want younger women to marry. So we believe it's saying remarriage, have children, manage their households, and give the adversary no opportunity to accuse us. I think it's so true, accuse us. When, when something, when we're a family of God, even when, when somebody is, 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 is not following the Lord, it's actually a, 
it's on all of us. It's accusing the church itself. We really are this a network of accountability. Verse 15, almost done. For some have already turned away to follow Satan. If any believing woman has widows in her family, let her help them. Let the church not be burdened so that it can help widows in genuine need. There's so much here. Some of it may seem harsh, but I promise you at the end of the day, it's most helpful. This is a category a lot of people struggle with. Tonight's topic, the title, is when mercy gets messy. When mercy gets messy. Paul here seems like he is being rude not helping certain people, being an ageist, saying if you're young, we're not going to give you financial support. But there's something, there's so much more to this. And I think, I think initially we need to apply this. If there are any widows in our church, we need to apply this doctrine to that. But also, if there's anybody in need in general in your life, how do you help them? How do you help them in a way that doesn't actually continue to hurt them? We're going to try to really work that through in the gospel. Let's pray together uh, for our time. Father, we love you. And we ask you uh, just that you'd be with us tonight. I'm so grateful for our congregation who truly cares about the word of God. And Father, we're not asking for our own thoughts, our own ideas, but God, I just pray that the Bible would preach itself tonight. And I pray that you'd use this passage the same way you've used it for the last 2,000 years. And that's to build up your church, to care for those in need, and to make much of your name, Jesus. God, we love you. We are here for you. May we be attentive to your word, and I pray that healing would happen tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody says? Amen. 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 So throughout the Bible, it's actually real countercultural in the Bible, and especially in the Old Testament. Nobody else was talking this way. Uh, God was very clearly, from the get-go, was creating a community of God that were so caring for widows, for orphans, and for aliens, strangers, refugees, those who were in need. He, the Bible is very clear. We must care for them. Not only that, we must protect them. Not only that, we must honor them. Now, this is extremely countercultural back then, and I would argue even today, because it's caring for the people who don't help society. Quote, unquote, it's not people who are productive. Especially in our world, we look at everything as far as are you helping or hurting? Are you uh, a net positive for the market or are you at a negative? Are you costing us money or are you giving us money? But the Christian, we do not look at people in terms of value in that way. We know every single human is made in the image of God. Therefore, every single human is of supreme value. And it doesn't matter where they've been. It doesn't matter what they've done. We love them and we care for them. We protect them and we honor them. Even if it means we will never get anything in return. This is the way of Jesus. This is what Jesus does. And we as the people of God must do that. But here is the hard passage. This is the hard line here we're seeing in this passage. Who do you help and who do you not? There are people in your life that don't need your help. In fact, by you helping them, it's hurting them. This is the most intimate thing, but if we had time, I bet you we can all get together and we can start listening. It'd get real gossipy real quick, so we won't do that. But there are people in your life, you know, the more you help them, the more it hurts them. But it makes you feel better because you helped them, but did you? Mercy gets really, really messy. I know this in, in ministry. As a church, we want to be a church that loves people and cares for people. And if you have a need, like we don't want to like do a Facebook ad. You need money? We'll give it to you. Like that's not where we're, that's not where we're at, especially financially. You can look at our budget, right? That's not us. But it's also like in a real way, like of all y'all, and again, don't all come to me. This isn't going to work if you all need something tonight. But we want to care for our congregation. But we have to do it within this framework. Who really needs help? And who doesn't. There was a few months ago, 
Somebody came during a worship practice. Some of you guys know what I'm about to mention. I don't think I'll get sued for sharing this story. I don't know. The guy's kind of crazy. So he uh, came in, and I was just like kind of taken back, and I thought, oh, cool. Like, he's really excited for church. He's two hours early. So I'm like, praise God. I was just real positive about this. So he was sitting there, and he's writing on this notepad, and I just thought, man, he's praying a prayer. Like, I don't know. I was in a good mood that day. It was, everything was positive thinking. And so then I finally went up to him, and I said, hello, and he didn't, and he didn't hear me. He didn't seem like he recognized me, and I recognized, oh, he, he cannot speak. He cannot hear. And so I recognized, oh, he's writing me a letter. So I thought, I thought great. Okay. So it's this really long letter, and I can't get too detailed, but essentially it was a list of several bills that he has and how he's very much, it was very demanding, and I know it's hard to tell when it's just in writing, but it was like, I need, it was like, I need $824.58 now. And I was like, I don't have that. And the way our system goes, we don't just have like cash. Like, okay, we got a room back here with a bunch of cash. Hold on. That's not what we, that's not how we do things. And so I was trying to write him like, do you need gas? Like, we'll, we'll go drive and we'll fill up your car. Do you need food? I, I'm more than happy to go get you food. No, no, no. I need you to give me this, this, and this. And so I finally said, sir, I'm, again, I wrote this all down. I don't know you. I don't. I don't have enough context here. Plus, I can't just, I literally can't, even if I wanted to, just give you that money right now. That's not how the system works. So he just stormed off, very angry, threw every, all the paper down on the ground and, and, and took off. And so I just kind of felt real bad about that. But I thought, I don't know what else to do. Like, it, it was in such a hard situation. And, and so uh, I, I also felt like my spirit was telling me that this just isn't fully right. You know, like I just knew this just wasn't right. So a few days later, um, we get a Google review. On, on Google, um, and it was very, very angry saying this church doesn't love anybody. All I needed was a little, it's like, no, you asked for $824, but it's like, all I needed was $2, you know, that kind of thing. So it left this scathing review. The, the positive of being in a church building that's not yours, it was left for Heartcry Church. <laughs> so <laughs> Passion Creek still looks generous to the outside world. Um, <laughs> and, so, and so I said, hey, Dad, that one's on me. Sorry. <laughs> and so thankfully, though, Jeremy went through and looked at this because he noticed it as well, the comment. And he has done this with several different churches. Gives everybody a one-star review for not giving him money. And that really gave me like, oh, good. You know, like he just has an agenda here. This wasn't a one-day issue. This is something that's, that we have to deal with a lot in the church. And thankfully, we have the Holy Spirit to really ask. You know, we believe the Spirit's alive and well today. We ask, okay, is, you know, we're not afraid to, to love and bless people, but it needs to be the right way in the right time. And we just don't want to just, you guys give to the church. The only way we support is by your giving. So thank you. And we, we hold that in high regard. We're not just going to throw it away and just keep giving it to people. We, we recognize this is God's money. So we need to look at tonight, and I hope we can see this, and just, I'm going to try to be quicker tonight than a typical sermon. We need to examine our hearts. For some of us, when it comes to giving mercy, I use the word mercy because it's beyond financial giving. It's all sorts of blessing, of helping people, mercy ministry. Some of us, our first step is forward, which is incredible. Some people, you just can't wait to give. You can't wait to help. You're always on edge. One of the biggest blessings, I have a friend in my life who changed his whole budget, who started removing different payments like HBO Max every month and all those different subscriptions because he said he wanted to have wiggle room if he found a person in need, he'd be able to bless them on the spot. But how cool. Isn't that cool? In your budget is a I need to bless somebody budget. I love that. Some of us, our first step is forward. However, we can get bit by that because by us helping some people, it winds up hurting them like the young widows. It actually enabled them to live a life of laziness and spreading around false teaching. Others of us, though, our first step is back. 
Our first step is this is my money. I have earned it. This is my time. This is my work. I'm, you need to find help somewhere else. And I think if we're honest, a lot of us, we do not give to the needy because we still feel needy ourselves. A big reason we're not willing to give is we feel like there hasn't been enough given to us. Henry Nouwen has a beautiful quote that I read earlier this week. He says, when we see only darkness within ourselves, we can see only darkness in others. But when we see the light of God within ourselves, we can see God's light in others. So that's a, even reverse that. If you're somebody who only just sees darkness in others, maybe it's because you only see darkness within you. Let me just give you the hope of the gospel tonight. It's not about getting better. It's not about trying to turn on the light yourself, but surrendering to Christ and he will give you light. He will give you life in abundance and he could set you on a new path, amen? This is the God that we serve, but we have to examine. Some of us, our first step is forward in helping and that can bite us. Others of us, it's back and that is not good as well. So the two questions are, when do we extend mercy and when do we withhold mercy? Mercy gets messy. And it's not as easy of a question to answer as you think. B.B. Warfield, we have this on the screen, he addresses, he gave some objections people have to giving. And this is not just giving to the church, but just giving to anybody in need. And I thought these three little points he had, he was a professor at Princeton in the 1800s, a great commentator. He, I think this is really good. Point number one, he said in a sermon one time, he said, uh, money is my own. This is objection number one. Why would I give to somebody? I worked hard for this. Money is my own. I, I, I got this. And his reply was, yeah, that's true. But Christ's blood was his own, but he gave it on the cross for you and for me. Right? So we, if we're practicing the way in community, if we really believe Jesus, we cannot take anything in our life and say, this is mine. Jesus, it was his life and yet he gave it. So you and I in possessions and everything that we have, our first step must be forward because it's not ours either. We must give it because Christ gave the most ultimate sacrifice. Number two that B.B. Warfield argued is the poor are undeserving. A lot of us think there's a reason they're in that situation. Now with widows, I think a lot of us are a lot more gracious. You know, it's like that's a little bit harder uh, to wiggle around. But even so, a lot of us are just like, I don't know if, if you deserve this. And, and he goes on to argue, well, Christ died for the undeserving. Is there anybody here who really believes that you deserved what Christ gave you? No. The whole essence of the gospel is admitting and believing. Everything I've received is not of my own accord. I did not deserve this. In fact, it's why it's called grace and grace in abundance. And if we truly know that we have received grace, why would we not continue to give that grace to other people? The third point, an objection to giving. And I do want us to think about giving to church as well, but also to ministries and to people in need. They may abuse the money. And that might be true, but we abuse God's grace every single day. Who here hasn't abused the grace of God, taken advantage of what he has given us and think it's my own? Oh, good, God has given me a permission slip to do whatever I want. So this is an, a, this is an argument for saying our foot must always be forward. We should always say, let's give, let's help, let's serve those in need. And I think in verses 3 through 10, that's Paul's argument. Verses 11 through 16 he then pumps the brakes and said, but there are times when maybe we shouldn't give money. So I wanted to introduce this, though. These are three points. I think this is very gospel-centered ways that we should give. And I pray that tonight we are at my biggest prayer is not just that we resonate with this message. There, uh, John Tyson said this last week. Uh, he's a pastor that I follow. Residence does not equal obedience. Think about that. Just because you think, oh, that's good, that doesn't mean you acted on it yet. And when we gather together, we're saying we're going to act on these things. 
How are we going to, I want you to think of that through. How are we going to act on this after hearing tonight's message? Okay, let's, uh, verse 3 through 10, Paul starts to list through widows who are genuinely in need, people who really need that support, women who are incredible. You look at this list, it's amazing. They put their hope in God day and night. They are loving. They have hospitality. They wash the saints' feet. They help the afflicted. These are Sunday school all-stars, right? They're the incredible women in the church. He's saying for those ladies, we must offer mercy and help them. Write this down. This is what mercy does when we help others. Mercy is an invitation to a life of love and celebration. Specifically with widows. Again, I want you to really put yourself in the context of when this was written. Widows, it was very real. If you lost your husband, you lost all of your income. You lost everything. You lost your title, your status. Praise God, it's not fully like that today, but there's still something to that. When you look at a widow, possibly even today, but certainly in the past, you would not describe it as a life of love and a celebration. You would describe her life as she used to be loved. She used to have a lot to celebrate. As a church, may we never settle for that. May we say no. We will continue to do whatever we can to continue to come alongside of you. As long as you have breath in your lungs, there is so much life in you. God has so much purpose for you. And especially when a widow widow doesn't have children or grandchildren to help, we as the church, we gather together and we do what it takes to make sure that this widow is still living a life of love and it still have a lot to celebrate in life. That is what God has designed. That is what God desires. But we have to recognize to be a widow is to be quickly filled with fear. This is not the best scenario. And that's why the church steps in. Look at verse 5 again. It says, The widow who is truly in need and left all alone. Even that, I was just sitting in the passage this week and thinking, left all alone. How sad is that? There are people in our community. They're all alone. That really makes me sad, and I want us to as a church, to make sure that is never somebody who's in our congregation. We will do whatever it takes to make sure that they are not alone. Has put her hope in God and continues night and day in her petitions and prayers. That's such a beautiful verse. See, the widow here, she's in need with legitimate needs. But the reality is she still has hope. And so I think the encouragement Paul is giving us is to make sure we support the widow because she's not actually living in fear because she's actually loving God. But there are earthly fears. There are earthly problems that can choke her out and begin to depress her and discourage her. Okay, I think there's two forms of fear. There's two forms of anxiety. I want to explain those to you real quick. Number one is chronic anxiety. You ever heard of that before? Chronic anxiety, I think the greatest way to define this is imagined threats. Write that down. Chronic anxiety is imagined threats. This is what a lot of young people deal with, and old, of course. But a lot of us, I think the world we're in today, most of our problems are not actual problems. We just think they are, right? We manifest, we create, we think through, we have in our mind how terrible tomorrow is going to be. And so this is what's called chronic anxiety. And it's why some of you have such a hard time even breathing. Even your health is suffering because of it, because you keep imagining things, and those things actually begin to happen to you. But then you have acute anxiety, acute, not cute, because it's not cute, but acute anxiety. Those aren't imagined threats. Those are immediate threats, immediate threats, meaning they're real, and they're going to happen today if you don't do something about it. Now, 
Those are the two types of fears you and I struggle with. Imagined threats and immediate threats. And here's the reality. The world will tell you, don't fear. You're the best you. It's all up to you. What we're saying in community, what we're seeing here in 1 Timothy chapter 5, dealing with fear is a community project. You cannot get rid of fear alone. You have to have the brothers and sisters in Christ. And here's, here's what's so unique about what widows do for the church and what the church can do for the widow. Here's the next subpoint: Widows serve the church by dispelling imagined threats. The church serves the widow by dealing with immediate threats. If you've met, I've met the most godly widows. And I share with them my fears, my anxieties, my struggles, and they laugh. <laughs> Because they've been through life, they've been through worse, and they know my life is not as bad as I think it is. And they're loving enough to tell me and to laugh at me and to love me and say, it's not, it'll, you'll be okay, honey. It's, no, you'll be okay, trust me. I survived World War II, you'll be fine, honey. <laughs> right? I keep thinking of my, my own grandmother, who's a widow, and I'm so grateful the lessons she has taught me and it so broke my heart when my grandfather passed away. And it's been so amazing to see her flourish on her own. But it's been a hard process. But every time I have worries, I go to her house. And she gives me all those hard candies and all the good grandmotherly gifts. But, and she just speaks reality into my life. And it's the biggest blessing for me. Oh, I'm going to survive this. She has story after story of stuff I've struggled with. And she said, honey, it'll be okay. So she helps me with my imagined threats. Widows in our church, they help us by dispelling them. They speak reality. They, they speak hope into your situation. But we as the church, our job, the widow has immediate threats. It's called bills. It's called food. It's called real things they need. It's called relationships. It's called not being lonely. It's called having somebody to eat lunch with. And that's when we as a church... Those who are able, those who, are, who have support, who are able to gain money, whatever, we're able to help and love the widow in those ways. So I want you to remember, it is a two-way street. Every time you serve anybody, they're also serving you, if you have the eyes to see it. Saying, serve these widows, these incredible ladies of God. They put their hope in God. They, they, they pray day and night, and meaning they, they no longer live in the world of imagined threats. They live in the presence of God, but they do have immediate threats. They do have survival, and that's where we as the, as the church can come alongside of them. But we have to see again, this is a two-way street. Look, it says in verse 10 that, that this widow must be well-known for good works. That is, she has brought up children, shown hospitality, washes the saints' feet, helps the afflicted, devoted herself to every good work. These are people who are proven they, they serve the church. In other words, another way to put it is the church supports the widow financially and the widow serves the church faithfully. It's a two-way street. I want you to write this down about this two-way street that you and I have to keep in mind. It is a sin to minister to while refusing to be ministered to. It is a sin to be the one helping and serving but refusing for those people you're helping and serving to help and serve you back. It reeks of pride and arrogance. 
It, does, it is not the gospel. In fact, I would argue, when we love those in need and we don't allow them to love us back, we are robbing them of their dignity. We are robbing them of their purpose. So may we not see widows or anybody in need. I believe there's so many different categories of people even here in our church who are quote-unquote in need. These are not just people we give, give, give and never receive. We must be a church who is able to receive. For years, I was that person who went, every, every time I was at a house, I always wanted their food. I wanted their food, but I never said I want, like I never told them. And they would offer it to me and I'd say no. And, I, and I, if they offered it to me three times, I'd say yes, but they only offer it twice and it always made me mad. Or I thought if you say, if you just asked one more time, I would have had that waffle, right? But you didn't. And so I just grew up and it was just always that way. I'm a pastor's kid. I'm fourth generation pastor. My whole life has always been helping, helping, helping. And I, and, I, and I haven't allowed people to help me back. And that's why this journey with, with having a couple miscarriages and COVID and all this stuff the last four months and the, the health of our home, it's been so such a blessing because we've been desperate enough. We're saying just, okay, give it to me. Like, thank you for blessing us. Thank you for that amazing food. But I had a youth pastor in high school. He, he taught me this lesson. Anytime he'd try to give me something and I would say, no, no, no. He said, Trey, stop robbing me of my blessing. Trey stop robbing me of my blessing and it would make me receive. And I love that lesson he taught me. In the church, some of us, we only come to get served and that's very problematic. There's also a lot of us here who only come to serve and that's also problematic. As a church, we minister to and are ministered to. John 13, 8, Jesus and Peter talked about that. Jesus went down to wash Peter's feet. What does Peter say? You will never wash my feet. And I feel like I'd tell Jesus that too, amen? I mean, like, don't touch the feet. I'm too ticklish and they're gross and let's not talk about it, right? Peter said, but Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Jesus is saying to you and to me, if you do not let me serve you, you have no part with me. That is profound. How have you allowed Jesus to love and serve you in the most humbling ways. And how have you allowed the widow, the one in need, the orphan, the one who has barely anything, how have you allowed them to serve you? This is the way of the gospel. Okay, so we must give mercy to those who are going to use it as an invitation to a life of love and celebration. We must give, give, give. They, they, give us, uh, they give us a lack of fear. They give us courage for the day. We give them finances for the day. It's this two-way street. But when are there times, and we'll close after this, when are there times when we're supposed to withhold mercy? Some of us who have relationships in our life, we should stop giving them and enabling them. That's why you have verse 11 and following. Verse 11 says, refuse to enroll younger widows. For when they are drawn away from Christ by desire, this word desire literally means sexual lust, they want to marry. And guess what? That's okay. And, they, and, and will therefore receive condemnation, not because they wanted to remarry, but they claimed, I will never remarry again, and then remarry. They, they become double-minded. They go against their pledge. It's because they've renounced their original pledge. He's saying, no, don't even make that pledge. Instead, get married. He says, verse 13, when you don't, at the same time, they also learn to be idle. Going from house to house, they're not only idle, but they're gossips and busybodies saying things 
that they shouldn't say. And let me just also say, this is not just a woman thing. If there's men who have no jobs, they'll also go house to house and gossip and be busybodies, okay? I don't believe this is sexist. This is just an opportunity here. And it was for the widows enabled to be idle. Men at this time, they couldn't be idle. You would just, you wouldn't be able to live, right? And so there's a situation there. Therefore, I want younger women to marry, have children, manage their household, give the adversary no opportunity to accuse us. In other words, give them responsibility or else it will wind up hurting them. Write this down. Mercy is an invitation until it becomes a limitation. Mercy is an invitation until it becomes a limitation. Some of you are helping people too much. What'd you learn tonight? Yeah, my pastor said I help people too much. I mean, I'm, I just, I'm super pumped about this, right? Some of us, though, are enabling people. What we have here in this text, this exact scenario, these were literal young widows. He's not just saying, I imagine. No, these were people in Ephesus. And for these younger widows, instead of living a life of love, which is the invitation we have, instead they were living a life of lust. They had too much energy, too much opportunity. They used these gifts, these finances, to go and have fun and do their own agenda rather than love and serve God. Instead of living a life of celebration, which again can happen with the older widow when we help them financially, For the younger widow, because it's not at the right time in their life, it led to condemnation. It led to them living, making their life even worse. The very because the church was helping them wind up hurting them, hurting the younger widows and hurting the church. There is a way, and I know you probably have examples in your mind, where when we bless people, it is a burden to people. So it's actually selfish. When you and I give to somebody without praying and thinking through how will this gift bless them to be a blessing to others rather than burden them and be a burden to others. We have to think through those things. Here's the way to think through it. It isn't caring when our mercy enables a consumer and disables a contributor. What's the rule here? How do I know I'm I'm blessing and helping and doing the right thing? Is it making this person more of a consumer or more of a contributor? If it's making this person more and more of a consumer, you and I were not created for that. And it leads to a life of misery, not only for them, but for everybody around them. So again, Paul looks mean. Paul's like, don't give those younger widows nothing. It's because he loves the younger widow. And many of us, we keep giving to people in our life And we know it's hurting them, but we feel mean to tell them no. But it's the exact thing they need. But now I want to transition this and we'll be done. This whole tonight was about us in the church helping others of us in the church. But now I want to think about mercy when it comes to you and God. Are you somebody who receives the gift of mercy and uses God's mercy as an invitation to a life of love and celebration? Or is it possible that the mercy God has extended in your life, you have used it and abused it, and it actually has become a limitation? Romans 2, 4. Or do you despise the riches of God's kindness, restraint, and patience? Not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? This verse is worth meditating on all week. I'm going to read that again. In fact, I'm going to do it in the message version. 
It's message tra- uh, paraphrased by Eugene Peterson. He says, did you think that because he's such a nice God, he'd let you off the hook? Better think this one through from the beginning. God is kind, but he's not soft. In kindness, look, he takes us firmly by the hand and leads us into a radical life change. Why do I bring up this verse? Some of us keep receiving the gifts of God and we're not using it as he intended it. Some of us have been sinning, getting away with things, and yet our life is still good. Our children are still healthy. Life seems to go right. Don't think that doesn't mean because, oh, God is just letting you get off the hook. He is just being patient and kind with you, but eventually he loves you too much and he will make it stop. It will get to a point where he stops offering mercy the way that you are currently receiving mercy. Why? Because he's a loving God and he knows the more mercy you receive at that point, the more harmful it can be for you. So some of us were really discouraged because we feel like God keeps taking things away. But what if it's because God loves you too much to give it to you in this season? What if God gave you that thing that you want? What if that would, that's the very thing that would lead you even further from God, leave you even more consumed in lust and condemnation? So in his love, he's withholding. Here's the last point. God isn't being indifferent towards you. He is just doing something different for you. If you're upset with the way God has been giving gifts in your life, know that God is a God full of grace. God is a God full of love. In fact, because he loves you, he's not giving the gifts to you the way you want them. Because he knows by doing that, it won't lead to an invitation to more. It will be a limitation with less. Some of us, we need to pause and reflect tonight the ways that we have abused God's mercy. Some of us are like the younger widow. We learn that Jesus has died for us. We learn that we are forgiven. We learn that we have new life and life in abundance when we surrender to Jesus and we are just overwhelmed with this grace. We're so overwhelmed with forgiveness, but then we think I'm gonna keep doing what I want because I'm forgiven anyways. I'm gonna keep doing this because this gift was all about me being forgiven. And we're using it and abusing it. And I'm not saying you're missing out on heaven, but you're sure missing out on heaven on earth. You're missing out on what God has planned for you today. But others of us are like the older widow. God has grace for you. Don't be the widow who refuses to receive it. Some of you, God has been blessing you, but you keep denying it. Allow God to love you. Allow God to serve you. I know some widows in our church, they're stubborn, right? They're like, no, you're not, no, honey, you're not going to give me money. No, I want to bless you. Mm-mm, not from you, right? But there is a blessing in receiving. 
And some of us need to receive that blessing. And I also think there's another category of us tonight who have been dabbling around the things of God, experiencing his mercy, but not entering into it. Not saying, Jesus, I believe in you. I surrender my life to you. Forgive me. I want to receive new life. I'm here to serve you, Jesus, and you alone. Save me. We're just trying to receive his blessings without entering into the family. And tonight, may that be the night where you recognize this is just God being kind, allowing you to receive some gifts, but you will not fully enter into it until you repent and turn fully to him. But to those who are discouraged, God is not being indifferent towards you. He loves you. He is just doing something different for you.